0: Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology.
1: If you come to Las Vegas, there are a lot of wonderful competitors that have great products and deliver great levels of service the question is can they do it at the highest levels of efficiency when you look at our operating margins in Las Vegas we're operating at a 50% operating margin Uh, our closest competitor you know of size and scale is MGM Grand we are we have a 10 point margin premium over MGM Grand if you look at the other competitors that margin premium is even higher so it's not to say that MGM doesn't deliver great service They're, they're a wonderful operator they have great product they deliver great service it's how do you deliver great service efficiently at scale and that's where training and process becomes really key to be able to unlock that kind of value.
0: Hi, I'm Tim Troop Noonan and that was Sean McBurney, Kettering grad and somewhat surprisingly for a mechanical engineer, regional president for Caesars Entertainment in Las Vegas, talking about the processes and systems required to efficiently deliver. The highest level of customer service with tens of thousands of employees in multiple business units from gaming to food and beverage to catering to hotels. Sean is with us today to tell us how he migrated from powertrains to poker chips and to talk about all things Vegas. Sean McBurney, thank you very much for joining us today. Tell us a little bit, first of all, so we kind of orient ourselves about your current position at Caesars.
1: Sure. I'm currently the regional president for Caesars Entertainment. I'm responsible for the operation of the nine casino resorts that we have in Las Vegas. We have more than 20,000 hotel rooms across the nine properties, more than 22,000 employees, we'll do more than $4 billion of revenue and call it about $2 billion of EBITDA on an annual basis out of these nine resorts.
0: And the nine resorts are all in the Vegas area or the region?
1: Eight are on the Strip and uh, one is off the Strip. So we have Harrah's, Flamingo, The Link, Cromwell, Bally's Paris, Planet Hollywood, Caesars Palace, all of those are on the Strip. And then the Rio All Suite Hotel is located just off the Strip.
0: Well, I think it's fascinating. I I want you to tell me a little bit more about the brand and about how that all got assembled, because I know that has been an accumulation and a growth over the past number of years. But first, tell me this. You are, I'm guessing, maybe I'm wrong, maybe the only GMI slash Kettering grad in the gaming industry. And am I calling it the gaming industry? Would that be correct?
1: That's right. Yeah. No, I, I think you're correct on both parts there. I have not, I've, Keep my eyes open for GMI and Kettering grads wherever I am, and I have yet to find one in the gaming and hospitality space. I think I've been blazing a trail here, although I would strongly encourage people to take a hard look at the industry. It is a great industry, especially for engineers.
0: So that's a good place to start. You are an engineer. Tell me a little bit about your education and co-op, first job, and then how you got into this industry. It's not a natural jump doesn't no. seem to be anyway.
1: No, my, my father worked for General Motors for more than 50 years. I was always a, a car guy and aspired to work in the auto industry. I went to Kettering. I graduated as a mechanical engineer. I did my co-op with GM. I started at the Lordstown Assembly Plant, working in manufacturing. I then moved to the Detroit Technical, or I'm sorry, the Warren Technical Center, and then Detroit Ham Hamtramck. And I finished my co-op at DHAM. I worked there for a bit after I graduated. Ironically, Mary Barra was the plant manager at the time. She was a Kettering undergrad, Stanford MBA. I got accepted to Stanford, so was uh, able to work under her for a bit and share similar alma maters. I went to Stanford and did my internship between the first and second year at the gm treasurer's office in new york on fifth avenue i got to experience what that was like and uh you know it was at that period where when i went back to stanford i i started to look at other industries more out of my own curiosity when you go to business school you just get exposed to so many businesses that you never one knew existed or really gave any serious consideration harris entertainment was doing on-campus recruiting now gary loveman was the ceo at the time he was a mit phd a harvard business school professor that was consult consulting for the gaming industry and then started as the coo and promoted to ceo and he recognized that there was a lot of people in the industry at senior levels that had just grown up through the ranks and he saw an opportunity to bring individuals with a different kind of discipline and background to progress the industry in a way that it hadn't been progressing. So I hired into the president's associate program.
0: What's the bridge there? I mean, and I know you and I've talked about this and I I think it's fascinating. It's kind of a management here is, is a little bit like management there, but tell me a little bit about that bridge. So you decide to, you get attracted to this industry, what skills, what uh, abilities transferred for you?
1: It's not intuitive on the surface, but when you really start to look at the business, what you realize is these are massive facilities. A place like Caesars Palace, it's the 13th largest hotel in the world. We have 4,000 hotel rooms. We have 50 restaurants and bars, a massive convention business, a massive gaming business, a massive hotel business. And if you stay at a place like a Four Seasons or a Mandarin Oriental, you get wonderful service. And... You know, a good friend of mine runs the Baccarat Hotel in New York. They have 88 rooms. They have 88 rooms. They have a $1,500 ADR, average daily room rate. And because they're able to charge so much money and it's such a small hotel, they can muscle their way to great service. Their ratio of guests to team members is such that You are pampered through every part of the customer journey when you get into facilities this large you can't use that same methodology of we're just gonna have a lot of staff that surrounds every guest that we have we have you know millions of transactions on a daily basis that happen within the property so the only way you can deliver that kind of service is through great process and great people and that's what engineers are good at engineers are great at managing process and managing people so to deliver service at scale That's really what you need to do and uh, found that that was a really great fit.
0: Well, I I would say it's occurred to me and as you were talking that there's another bridge going the other way, which may not have occurred to you. I recently uh, bought a used car and it strikes me that there's no bigger gamble than buying a used car. So I think there's some elements of the automotive industry are very similar to gambling, uh, at least the way I've done it. It does strike me as interesting. I I think your point is well taken. I like the idea of muscling your way with a small staff to getting there. But how many employees did you say you have?
1: We have a little over 22,000 in Las Vegas.
0: What is, I mean, drill down more deeply with me. What is the, I don't want to say secret, but there's a lot of big companies out there that haven't solved this puzzle. And the customer service is not great. You all are known for that. What are some of the tenets of succeeding at that sort of scale on that area, training your people and delivering that service?
1: Yeah, I'd say there's two parts to it. One is if you come to Las Vegas, there are a lot of wonderful competitors that have great products and deliver great levels of service. The question is, can they do it at the highest levels of efficiency when you look at our operating margins in Las Vegas we're operating at a 50% operating margin. Our closest competitor you know of size and scale is MGM Grand, we have a 10 point margin premium over MGM Grand. If you look at the other competitors, that margin premium is even higher. So it's not to say that MGM doesn't deliver great service. They're, they're a wonderful operator. They have great product. They deliver great service. It's how do you deliver great service efficiently at scale? And that's where training and process becomes really key to be able to unlock those kind, that kind of value.
0: And that's really the thing that you and your career have focused on. So tell me a little bit. So you switch over. I know you went into this. What did you call it? This first program you went into, uh, the President's Associates Program. So the pre- tell me a little bit about your path at uh, Caesars from when you entered to now. What sort of things did you go through? What sort of levels?
1: So the President's Associate Program was intended to be a one-year program where it's a, effectively a management rotational program where you spend a little bit of time in different areas of the business, so you you learn the business broadly. The company recognized that people exiting business school that didn't work in gaming and hospitality you didn't understand the vernacular you didn't understand the basic mechanics of the industry so let's invest a year in training them and exposing them to the business at the time i had a really interesting boss who valued experience and getting your hands dirty so i only spent about two months in the program until i took a full-time role my full-time role was managing a team of hosts so i was a casino marketing manager and it's effectively a sales team that is selling to your higher end gamblers. And what's nice about that is if you're a higher end gambler, you interact in every part of the business. You have to understand the hotel business and the composition of room products that you have. And you know based upon the time of year, you yield those rooms differently. You, you know What it takes to get a presidential suite over Super Bowl is very different than the hot days of July. So, you understand room product and how you place customers in them. You obviously have to understand the gaming product, because that is the core product that the customer consumes. And you have to understand food and beverage, that this is a part that's very, very important to them. Culturally, it's important if they're Asian customers, food is critically important that they have authentic offerings that are comfortable to them. So it's a great way to get into the business and understand all of the different verticals. So I started in casino marketing, then I went into gaming operations since that's really the core of our business. I was the director of slot performance, which really does lend well to engineering. It's effectively an optimization exercise. You have a gaming floor. You have a variety of different gaming products. If you just look at the slot business, you have, video slot machines, video poker slot machines, traditional real machines. There, You have different pricing denominations, penny slots, dime slots, dollars, $5, $500 slot machines. And then you have a variety of different table games. How do you get the right mix? How do you get the right machines and the right locations such that you optimize EBITDA or profit? And so I spent time really understanding the gaming business. And then I moved back into casino marketing at a variety of different roles then as the assistant general manager of Ballets-Paris Planet Hollywood, the GM of Caesars, and then I've been the regional president for the last two years.
0: One thing that strikes me as interesting is your client mix. I mean, on one hand, you've got sheiks flying in with their own jets to gamble, and they're going to get the suites, and they're going to be dropping, they're going to be in the high-spend high uh, games and so on and so forth. And then you've got the little old lady from Peoria on her vacation and dropping quarters or whatever it is, I haven't been out there right now, into the one-armed bandits. And I presume at some level, the latter is as equally important because there's a lot more of them than as a former. How do you cater to such a, and, and of course, there's a million people in the middle between, how do you cater to all these different clients?
1: Well, you know, we're we're fortunate we have nine properties that are at different levels. And so Caesar's Palace competes for the largest gamblers in the world. It's our flagship property. It's squarely in the luxury set. If you look at a property like the link, it's more for a millennial customer. It's a younger value oriented property. And then to your point, we have everything in between. So a lot of our products allow us to focus on appealing to different segments of the business.
0: And of course, that depends on everything from the architecture to the arrangement to which games are there and everything, correct? Food
1: and beverage programming, entertainment programming, how much convention space we have. Is it a convention-oriented hotel? Is it not a convention-oriented hotel? That's exactly right.
0: It seems to me that that you must have sociologists and psychologists on call to understand human behavior. I mean, I, that's a little bit facetious, but it seems to me you've got to understand that. How do you go about that? Is it just from from experience?
1: The reality is that business has changed dramatically. You know, I've been in this business now for 16 years. And if you go back 16 years or even a little further than that, people would come to Las Vegas to gamble full stop. And they would have to eat they would want to see a show but the primary driver to come to las vegas was to gamble and that has dramatically changed over time when you look at customers coming now you've had this proliferation of gaming across the country there are many more convenient locations for people to gamble if you're in michigan you've got 12 more convenient choices to go gamble to go to las vegas so what we've had to do is give people other reasons to come to las vegas so you've seen this you know entertainment the biggest stars in the world now adele is the biggest star in the world without any question, and she's performing at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. And 16 years ago, people would say, well, you know, with the exception of Celine Dion, people kind of came to Las Vegas to end their entertainment career. Now we have, you know, Lady Gaga and Bruno Mars and Adele, and the biggest names are coming at the prime of their career here you look at the food and beverage offering, it's the biggest names in food and beverage. It, it is every bit as much of a foodie city as New York, which was unheard of 16 years ago. So part of this is evolving what we have to offer based upon what the customers want to consume right now. The majority of all the revenue in Las Vegas is not gaining revenue. It comes from all the hospitality channels. Now, when we create these amenities, they're attractive to the gamer and the non-gamer. So we'll we'll attract the gamer from Michigan because they want to see Adele, they want to eat at Hell's Kitchen, and while they're here, they're going to gamble. So you really have to look at the totality of the customer journey and the guest experience to make sure that you're getting as compelling of an offering as you can.
0: And there's a perception out here in the hinterlands that over the last twenty, thirty years, it's become much more of a family uh, destination, and yet. I understand now there's some backing away from that maybe I'm wrong tell me about that whole end of things
1: You certainly saw a surge in the 90s where Vegas tried to really focus on the families you saw you know heavily themed hotels like the Excalibur and the shows that really appealed to kids and families you saw the Luxor these really thematic properties and I think the industry you know the reality is so many of the businesses in Las Vegas you have to be 21 years or older to participate in. You have to be 21 years or older to gamble. You have to be 21 years or older to be at a bar. I do think that, you know, at post-90s, the industry backed away from that position a little bit, and it's become more balanced in 2022. You know, there's a lot for families to do here. You certainly see it in the summertime. The pools here, the most spectacular pools you'd find in any city in the country, and so you do see a lot of families come out in the summertime, and there's a lot, frankly, outside of the Strip of Las Vegas that offers that uh families can engage with,
0: so if I come out, somebody comes out with their ten year old and their twelve year old there's the pool there's a lot of stuff for them to do, and then there's a lot of things for Mom and Dad to do too,
1: right, you know you've got all sorts of shows that you know there's a lot of comedy, there's a lot of magic, there's a lot of sur shows in Las Vegas. Those have broad appeal. Then there's a lot of concerts that, again, and those concerts are skewing younger. We had, you may or may not have heard of BTS, the Korean pop band, which is the biggest band in the world right now. I think
0: I have heard of them, yeah.
1: They only played in, I think, one or two cities in the U.S. One was Las Vegas. They did four sold-out shows at a quarter of a million attendees, and that had every teeny bopper in the United States and really around the world wanting to be at that show. So you do see the programming does lend to the younger segments of the population too.
0: I've got to put them on my playlist and intersperse them with uh, <laughs> Harry Como and Frank Sinatra.
1: Yeah, well, it'll be diverse.
0: Okay. Question from middle America again. What was the TV show with James Caan where he was that? He basically had a position like yours. He was head of the whole casino hotel.
1: Yeah, I think it was Vegas.
0: How close was that?
1: everything in tv and movie oceans 11 if you think of all of those great shows there's there are relatable aspects to it certainly things are dramatized but when i look back on that show you know never in a million years that i think i'd be playing one of those roles you know facial recognition now is a real thing and it is unbelievable how well it works you know you have a hat and a mask on And if we program you, we will be able to identify you through these cameras. And the success rate is extraordinary.
0: And you want to identify people who...
1: Mainly for safety. You know, safety is the number one priority we have for our guests and team members. And obviously, this is a destination that garners a lot of attention. And we get a tremendous amount of visitation. We have... 40,000 people a day that walk through the front door of Caesar's Palace and there are unsavory characters, whether they are just people looking to create mischief or whether there are people that are trying to pickpocket. You know, once we identify those people, we want to make sure they don't come back into the building. You know, we can bring on as many security officers as we want, but there's nothing that's more efficient to say, I know who you are. We program you in. So if you ever try to get in again, we're going to be able to get you right at the door or uh, really before the door.
0: Now, do you communicate with your competitors about these people? that We do.
1: The nice thing about Las Vegas, we are fierce competitors with each other, but we fully recognize what's good for Las Vegas is good for all of us. A rising tide floats all boats.
0: You're listening to Horsepower to Hyperloops, and we're talking with Sean McBurney, regional president of Caesars in Las Vegas. Talk to me a little bit about the subject that everybody has to talk about and it's not over yet, and that's the pandemic. And what did you face in that, and how has it changed you, if at all?
1: It was, you know, an unbelievable time for everybody. I would say probably even a little more unbelievable for us. We were in the process of being, Caesars was being acquired by Eldorado Gaming during that time. So we had closed on March 17th. We were given a little bit of notice in advance by the governor. We had to close all the facilities down. And the reality is we had never, you know, Caesars Palace has been open for 56 years. It had never closed its doors in 56 years. And a matter of fact, the doors don't lock. This, these these are buildings that were never intended to be closed. So we had to figure out how do you secure doors that don't have locks on them and shut the facility down, take care of the team members, make sure that the guests were able to depart. And as soon as we closed, we had to start figuring out how are we going to reopen these businesses, and we started on reopening plans. What would we open? What would be the sequencing? And based upon all the CDC standards, how would we? Re- we had to rewrite every SOP for every job to be in wow. accordance with the CDC guidelines. So there was a small group of us that went through this with an infectious disease consultant to make sure that we were being as responsible as we could for our team members and our guests.
0: And where are you now? I know you opened in a staggered fashion. Is that correct? And stair stepped it in some ways?
1: We did, it, although it ap- it opened rather quickly. We opened Caesar's Palace first, the only property. You know, it's interesting to walk through this empty casino for months. But when we opened, their pent up demand was a real thing and people wanted to get out of the COVID lockdown. So we were able to ramp the businesses up relatively fast. The COVID, Constraints were unbelievably burdensome. You know, appropriate but burdensome and, and hard to manage. But we executed that well, and then today we're fully open. Uh, you know, it did allow us to completely reconstruct the business. You know, when businesses have been operating for five or six decades, there's a lot of momentum. There's a lot of sacred cows. When you fully close and you shut everything down for three months, you're able to start entirely fresh, restructure businesses, restructure org. The overall structure of the organization and the basics of oper- operations. So, we learned a lot through that process and extracted a lot of efficiencies.
0: Well, so now, in terms of whatever metric that you use, number of customers, uh, dollars, uh, whatever, where are you now versus where you were before the pandemic or where you th- thought you would have been had there been no pandemic?
1: Yeah, we're, you know, 2019 was the a banner year for everyone and we were certainly no exception to that Uh, you know we're performing well above 2019 levels at this point substantially above the all-time records and parts of the business are just now coming back groups and the international business have been the last to return we had an exceptional second quarter with the group business you know typically that's about Mid-20s, high 20s of our overall room nights, that's coming back strong and the international business is coming back now that the travel restrictions have started to ease. So the business has never performed better.
0: Did you have to increase things like ventilation in the casinos? I'm a very cautious guy and I tend to avoid crowds and, you know, it can get pretty crowded in there. What mitigations have you made in that regard?
1: We did a lot of what you just described. You know, certainly a lot on the sanitation front, cleaning standards had changed. We leaned into technology a lot so people could do transactions remotely, whether it's checking into the hotel or if you want to go to a restaurant, you don't have to engage with a hostess. You can do all of your, you know, paying your check, checking in virtually. So mobile technology became a big tool for us. The industry was naturally going that way, COVID certainly accelerated it.
0: So I can come out there, make my reservation online, check in online, and kind of go through the whole experience and not really have to interact with somebody. That's right. Where do I get my room key?
1: So we have a kiosk. So you can pre-check in and the only thing you have to do is go up to the kiosk. It will shoot your key out and you're on your way.
0: Well, that would work well for me. I have a a button that I wore wore on Southwest flights where, you know, they have that open seating and the button says, I hate people. And people look at it and they kind of move. So, I mean, for somebody that hates people, I mean, I don't have to talk to any, I can just come in and gamble and leave. And, but that's gotta be a great efficiency on your end because that's a lot of time. You don't have to deal with people. Those people can deal with other things.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people like it, you know, a lot of people like engaging with a front desk agent. And so that's an option they have. A lot of people don't like engaging with individuals, either they just don't like it, or they have concerns about sanitation and COVID concerns, as you described. They have options now. You can engage with a front desk agent and have a conversation, or you can do it all on your own and not have to interact with any employees.
0: That's very cool. Now, tell me a little bit, if you would, about the uh, in a sort of 20,000 foot fashion about the evolution of the brand because I haven't been there for a while I was there a fair amount 30 years ago and you know I tend to think of these things as uh, discrete properties planet Hollywood and Harrah's and and Caesars and and a lot of these are now all under the Caesars brand so tell me a little bit about the evolution and to the extent that it's not confidential this sort of um rationale or or mission behind that amalgamation
1: it's critical that our brands are strong and unique if one brand tries to be everything to everybody it's nothing to no one and so you know Caesar's Palace is clearly at the high end of the luxury spectrum you know we have the biggest entertainment in the world we've got the best nightclub in Las Vegas we have the most luxurious villas in the world and even controlling for my own bias I'd tell you all of that's true the forum shops is the you know most spectacular shopping experience in Las Vegas you have Harris, which has traditionally been very much appealing to the core slot customer that's a brand that we've started to evolve a little bit to be a bit more convention focused but that is a core gaming brand but here in Las Vegas we build a 300,000 square foot convention facility behind it which has the largest pillarless ballroom in North America it's a spectacular venue and so that has brand has evolved a bit you have the link which we were talking about a bit before which is a young hip millennial very trendy property Paris is a luxury property that we're tucking in just under Caesars Palace we've infused a tremendous amount of capital into that property it's beautiful we've renovated all the rooms we just opened Martha Stewart's first restaurant ever we have a Nobu there Lisa Vanderpump just opened A new restaurant there bobby flay opened a new restaurant there gordon ramsay has a restaurant it's a really really exciting property planet is a if you are looking to have a lot of fun and have a very high energy experience that's planet hollywood you know if you're there on a saturday night it feels like and you're gambling it feels like you're in a nightclub so we've got each of these properties play to different segments of the population and we need to make sure that those the identity and separation for the other brands is very unique and strong
0: Now, you also have a lot of properties outside of Vegas and outside the U.S., am I correct? Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: So we're primarily focused in the US now. So we had presence in the UK, London clubs, which we sold. We had a property that we were building in South Korea that we sold. So we are primarily focused domestically. The the online sports betting business has been a big focus for the company. So we've been focused on the domestic opportunities there. We do have other brands, the Isla Capri brand. We have the Horseshoe brand, which is one of our key brands we're bringing into Las Vegas, the Tropicana brand that exists in some other markets. It's a big, you 55 properties across the U.S. It's a big company.
0: So I assume this is not where you've gotten to. It's evolving. What are we evolving to? If I come out in 10 years, how will my experience be different?
1: What I love about Las Vegas and what I've been so impressed by in Las Vegas is it's a city that continues to redefine itself and evolve and evolve quickly. And so many, to be frank, so many of the watershed moments in las vegas really happened at caesar's palace there's always a gaming and yeah. caesar's was the first to bring celebrity chefs it was it was uh, wolfgang puck with And people said no one is going to come to las vegas to eat that's crazy now if you look at the food lineup here you couldn't imagine it being any different the forum shops was the first luxury shopping center in las vegas and people said las vegas will never be a shopping destination why would they do that you know when they built the coliseum here for celine dion Nobody is going to be able to sell 4,000 seats, 150 nights a year. And that's exactly what happened. And now these high-end residencies are up and down the strip, the same thing with nightclubs. So the the city continues to evolve and reinvent itself so that it, it is unique to any other city certainly in the country, but I'd argue really the world. What I see happening in Las Vegas now is it is becoming the sports capital of the world. We've been the entertainment capital of the world. You know, when I first started, you couldn't use the word Super Bowl in Las Vegas. We had to call it the big game. The NFL wanted to keep its distance from anything casino related. And now you look at the big sports franchises and businesses, and they are excited to wrap their arms around Las Vegas. So we have the Knights here. Uh, With NHL, we have the Raiders here with the NFL. There's very strong chatter around the A's and MLB and uh, the NBA. So when you look to the future, I think this is really going to be the sports mecca. If you want to see your team play somewhere, there's nowhere in the country more fun to go to to see a game than Las Vegas.
0: I've heard that. You know, I'm thinking that when I used to go, we used to go into a... um, You know, we we gamble till – I was there one time. I took pride in the fact that I was in college, and shortly thereafter, I was there three times for three days each, and I never slept a wink while I was in Vegas (laughs) because we'd finish gambling and we'd go into a show at 2 in the morning, and it was this quaint – it must have been – 200 people in the room, little tiered levels and cocktail right. tables. Does that exist anymore or is it just? It does.
1: If you go to the Flamingo Showroom, it's one of my favorite showrooms because it's largely been unchanged. That property was built in 1947. It's a spectacular property. There's so much history there in that showroom. It's like you're going back in time and it's a great place. And, and ironically, the RuPaul Drag Show is there. So it's this okay. very traditional theater. It now has this very contemporary programming in it, and it's a really fun place to see a show.
0: Well, tell me something that I ran across, and uh, I'll let you get back to running Vegas here in a in a little bit. But something that I ran across that I was unaware of, except conceptually, but is and I don't know. You don't call them the condos, the suites, the thirty thousand square feet. I don't know what they are. Villas, villas, the villas. Tell me about the villas the experience of the villas who they're for where they are and how I can spend 3 months in one
1: They're exceptional they range from we have what we call large format villas they're 8,000 to 12,000 square feet we have 14 of those they're just spectacular the finishes are you know, imported stone from around the world, these m- marvelous barreled ceilings, movie rooms, golf simulator rooms, private pools, private gyms, private massage rooms. Each,
0: each one has all of this
1: Each one has all of those and complete private access. So you have your own private valet. And if you want to, get to a part of the casino. We have private hallways and corridors that will take you throughout the properties. If you never want to be part of the public space, you never have to be part of the public space. And as great as the product is, and it is great, we have a team of 70 butlers. That look after the guests in those rooms and so we have mandarin speaking Cantonese speaking french speaking arabic speaking butlers to be able to make people feel like they're at home and a private chef team that cooks authentic cuisine from wherever you're from the goal is it's meant to be very residential so when you're here you feel that you're at home people are speaking your language you're consuming the kind of food that you feel comfortable with because you know a lot of these gamblers these are extraordinarily wealthy people, billionaires. This is how they live. Their the accommodations here have to match what they have at home.
0: And if I want food from the highest end restaurants, I, that's brought in if I want it? That's right. That's I can right. guarantee you that sounds great, but I can also guarantee you that's not like home. Well, me.
1: it's not like my home or your home, but it is like <laughs> some people's home. <laughs> uh,
0: and that's not a bad thing. I, it's no. a, that's an interesting, and you tell me those are I mean, obviously, you comp some high-end people and so on, but those those for whatever situation, those are fairly full. They
1: are, and and you know, the composition of people that stay there, we've had U.S. presidents, the royalty, the biggest celebrities in the world, you know, you name it—Tom Cruise, Adele—all the, the likely characters have stayed in there. And then the biggest gamblers in the world that can bet you know four hundred thousand dollars a hand in baccarat have stayed there too.
0: That's really cool. So you're in charge of all those. What, how many properties? Nine. How do you? You must have a, a very large staff.
1: Yeah, the team here is is best in class. And if if there's one thing that I've learned through my career, it does not matter how smart or talented you are as an individual, you have to have a team that is is frankly better than you are. At their respective parts of the business, and that's what I fortunately have here as a team that is extraordinary and uh, makes this job doable.
0: Well, so how can uh, – I'll, I'll give you a shot here at uh, attracting uh, a Kettering engineer to Caesars. What would you tell – I mean, I, I would dare say that a lot of them aren't thinking of the gaming and entertainment industry, uh, and yet you've proven there's a connection. What would you tell a young engineer or anyone about the future of this industry and the opportunities?
1: Well, you know, I, I would encourage them to reach out to me. I'd be happy to spend any amount of time with them explaining what my career has been and pull the veil back on the industry a bit. You know, I, certainly when you go to a school like Kettering, which is wonderful and I wouldn't change where I went to school for anything. But you, you fall into the traditional industries that people get recruited from in that business, and it's generally not gaming and hospitality. The older I get, the more versatile I realize the engineering discipline is. And I think you can go into almost any industry and business and find a way to unlock value because you've been trained to think in this really specific way and structured way that a lot of other individuals don't think that way. You know, a business like this is wildly about process and it's a business of businesses. You know, like like I said, a big hotel business, big gaming business, big convention business, big entertainment business, and all of them are interconnected. And so, you know, it it is just lends itself so well to the discipline of engineering. So I strongly encourage people to look at it. And it it is a lot of fun. At the end of the day, it's a great business and it's a lot of fun.
0: Ultimately, engineers develop systems and work the problem. And I'm sure you need a lot of systems and you have a lot of problems. You have to work on a day-to-day basis. Let me add one last question. What can you tell me or anyone like me to coming to Vegas to have a successful a time there, other than putting a limit on how much I'm going to gamble. What else can I should I think about for having a great uh, weekend or week in Vegas?
1: What what's great about Las Vegas is there it's there's so many things to do based upon what you're interested in. If you like sports, there is nowhere more fun to see you know March Madness or the Super Bowl than Las Vegas. When there is a big play during Super Bowl, you are at the game. People have. You know they've placed bets they have action and they're so vested in the outcome that it is it's intoxicating you know f1 is coming in 2023 to las vegas you know you're gonna have cars going 200 miles an hour down the las vegas strip right in front of caesar's palace and all of our properties it is going to be the hottest f1 race of the season i'm actually flying out to milan next week to see the F1 race out there uh, Gordon Ramsay's a big partner of ours a big fan of F1 and he's going to be participating with us so it's it's really going to be exciting if you are an F1 fan this is the race you got to be at it's really exciting if you like shows the biggest shows in the world are here if you like the outdoors I live by Red Rock Canyon and just these wow. majestic mountains and great walking paths and hiking and mountain climbing You know, I was a water skier, you know, in Michigan, and we have Lake Mead out here. Despite all the water challenges you hear, we still have 1,100 feet. It's a great place. I water ski every Sunday and wake surf actually every Sunday. So there's so much more than just gambling. You have gambling, you have nightclubs, you've got football, you've got hockey, you've got hiking, you've got water skiing, you've got great shows, food and beverage. So, you know, the possibilities are quite limitless. So
0: it's be aware of the opportunities.
1: That's exactly
0: right. It's really been interesting to hear a little bit about Vegas, hear a little bit about your journey. I think that's really fascinating. I hope to get out there at some point. Meanwhile, tonight, I'm having dinner flowing in from the French Laundry cross country. So I've got <laughs> to get back for dinner.
1: Not to be light on the caviar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you very, very much. And I appreciate your time and hope to talk with you again at some point.
1: Thanks, Tim. It was really a, a pleasure on my part, too.
0: Thanks for joining us. This was an interview with Sean McBurney, regional president of Caesars in Las Vegas. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.